And it also means that it enables me to bring more compassion to others when they perhaps express an agitation or a concern about something that for me really doesn't seem like that big a deal because we never know what is sitting behind somebody's behavior. Welcome to the podcast that's all about deepening our self-awareness with profound self-compassion. I'm Henny. I write, coach and speak about how exploring our inner world can transform how we experience our outer world all founded on a bedrock of self-love. Settle in and listen and see where the episode takes you. Hi and welcome back to season 10, episode 3 this time. And today I thought we could explore a theme that I've mentioned quite a few times I think on the podcast. It's something that's definitely very present for me when I um, observe my own behavior and also when I'm working with clients and there seem to be certain patterns that are showing up in the way that they're responding to different stimuli in their life. And so the kind of shorthand for this is the question, does it belong to you? Often, or sometimes, but I think often, we carry beliefs or stories that we think belong to us. They've been with us for such a long time that it feels like they're part of us. But sometimes we've picked up these beliefs or stories from others along the way of our life. Perhaps inheriting them from our caregivers, our parents or teachers or grandparents or whoever cared for us when we were children. Adopting or adapting the stories and beliefs that those same caregivers in turn inherited from the people who cared for them when they were children. So sometimes when we trace back these stories or these beliefs, we can see how they get passed down the family line, each generation believing it, whatever it is, belongs to them. And each generation picking up burdens, potentially, that they could potentially just as easily put down. So, One of the things that I find really curious about this phenomena, this way that we have of adopting um, things from our caregivers, is that it can relate to really big things. So beliefs about love or money or morality, or it can relate to small, on the surface insignificant things that somehow can still have a really big impact or a big-ish impact in our lives. Now, obviously there's a really crucial aspect to this process of the way that humans do adopt or adapt the beliefs and stories of their caregivers. And it's how culture gets created. It's how societal beliefs and behaviours get established. And it's also one of the ways in which 
you know, democracy <laughs> operates because we learn how to um, behave well with groups, for example. But sometimes it can also be a hindrance where perhaps that thing that we've adopted or adapted um, doesn't actually really serve us. And in fact, maybe doesn't belong to us at all. And a simple story of this uh, from my own history recently became really clear to me. And so I thought I would share that story in case it sparks any thoughts for you um, of any of these uh, beliefs, behaviours, stories that you might actually also be able to put down or hand back to the person that you originally got it from. Um, So I have just been on a short break. It was lovely and it was what um, I kind of realised like subconsciously inspired uh, last week's episode which was called Take a Break which was actually all about how when we take some time away it can often be the thing, the fuel that we need for our creativity and ironically I actually wrote this episode of the podcast while I was away so I was uh, I was proving my own um, message there really. Um, so, so this story for me about does it belong to you as an adult, I have always found it really, really disconcerting when the car has been low on fuel. Now, there's a logic to that because obviously if the car is low on petrol, the car might not go anywhere. <laughs> we might not be able to get where we want to be. But my agitation has been disproportionate to the what my rational logical mind tells me is proportionate now it used to make me or it, or it makes me um used to let's say used to because i think i'm i think the rest of this story will um show how i'm moving forward from this um it made me really agitated when my husband anton refused to fill up until way after I would have done and I started sort of having like these little stories going through my head that it was like some kind of machismo thing that why he wouldn't fill up but as far as he was concerned it was simply the car didn't need to have petrol put in it yet it was fine and I couldn't understand why it didn't bother him but I could see that the way that I was feeling and how agitated I was feeling really did bother him. So my agitation inflamed the situation between the two of us, meant that he then became perhaps irritated with me and and then that would further fan the flames of my own kind of... um, unsettledness and and we wouldn't necessarily end up having a a row or anything like that but it would just be not very nice now 
I never really knew what it was that I was afraid would happen. Because after all, in these days, we could just call the RAC if it really came down to it. But the fear that I felt or the agitation that I felt was real, even though my rational, logical mind could tell me it was disproportionate. And I'd often wondered why it was such a big deal for me compared to how others seem to feel about it. And obviously, I've been in cars with um, friends and, you know, they haven't seemed to be that bothered when the car was low on fuel. Um, And then last week when I was away, I travelled in the car with my father. And when I first got in, I noticed that he was a bit off kilter. And I'm really sensitive to this stuff. I mean, not surprising considering the work that I do. You know, my spidey senses are very uh, alert to when people feel sort of slightly, you know, left of centre or, you know, slightly kind of um, not quite fully themselves. So I noticed he was a bit off kilter, but I couldn't quite work out why until after we filled up on fuel he got back in the car and got himself settled and then said, I hate being low on petrol. And inside I said, oh. (laughs) And I could see a tail unfold. So let me paint you a picture. A little girl in a car packed with squabbling siblings and too much luggage, driving across some hot European country on some deserted road. A father, irritated. A car low on fuel. And no way of knowing where the next petrol station was in an age when mobile phones were the stuff of science fiction. The squabbling siblings taking the brunt of the frustration, even though they may not have been the original cause. And that little girl, believing everything was somehow her fault. Her adrenaline and cortisol rising, keeping pace with her father's. And so... She came to believe that trouble comes when the car is low on fuel. Maybe he mentions something to her mother about the fact that they need to get petrol. Maybe he mentions it more than once. Maybe each time he mentions it, his voice gets a little bit tighter. The atmosphere gets a little bit tenser. And her nervous system learns to respond to the trigger of the red light on the dashboard. Now, once I saw that story, I was able to see what had been happening to me every time the fuel light came on, even when I was an adult. Because on some level, this very young part of me equated it with things getting tricky. It was the fear response of a little girl who didn't want to be in trouble and who didn't want anyone to be in trouble. And so, 
how I'll respond next time the fuel is low in the car, only time will tell. But knowing it's actually really my dad who's bothered about it is definitely useful. And I'm choosing to hand that story back to him as something that doesn't actually belong to me. I just picked it up along the way. And I'm also choosing to let that little girl know that she's okay, regardless of how much petrol is left in the tank. Now, when I retell this story, you know, oh goodness, I mean, it sounds so insignificant as do so many of these, um, these little behaviors that we have. And yet my feeling is that if I can soothe that, that experience, if I can soothe that part of me, that young, very young part of me in those infrequent moments when the petrol light comes on, then that is an act of self-compassion. And it also means that it enables me to bring more compassion to others when they perhaps express an agitation or a concern about something that, for me, really doesn't seem like that big a deal. Because we never know what is sitting behind somebody's behavior. And often, as individuals, we don't know what's sitting behind our behavior. And it's only when we turn toward it and pay that deep attention to it, or really practice this art of kind of listening out to see, well, where might these stories, beliefs, behaviors, practices, strategies have come from? It's only when we, we choose to, to kind of to be listening deeply that we can often then see what the root cause is or the root source. Now, sometimes those root sources are actually some form of trauma, maybe that we haven't recognized in the past. And if that's the case, then they're asking for some deeper attention. However, with something like this, you know, really doesn't matter, does it, that, you know, I don't like the car being low on petrol. I can manage that in my day-to-day. I just make sure I fill the car up whenever I see it starting to edge towards being a bit low. But actually, the greater um, result of seeing where the source of this comes from is that potentially um, Anton and I don't get irritated with each other in the car. And like I said, potentially I can pay a kinder attention to others. And also, fundamentally, I can be a bit kinder to myself rather than, you know, doing what would be very easy, which is just saying, oh my God, you're such an idiot for being so bothered about the petrol being low. Um. So there's a, a question here for you, which is, you know, when you look across your own life, where are the stories that you've inadvertently adopted as your own? And 
And I would start small and start kindly. You know, look at maybe some of the the things that don't feel that significant, like the example that I gave. But maybe just sort of having a look at that from some different angles, from some different perspectives and thinking, well, maybe maybe this was consciously handed to you um, by one of your caregivers, or maybe it was unconsciously picked up, adopted, adapted by you um, through the course of your life. And I just want to say something else about these things that can get consciously handed to us. So most of our behaviours, things like um, not putting our elbows on the table if you were like me and that was sort of drummed into you, or always closing the loo seat, the loo, you know, the lid of the loo seat, or if you're a man, always putting the loo seat down, um, or never trusting strangers. Um, all of these kinds of stories, they come from our loved ones consciously wanting to keep us safe in some way. So the thing about, you know, table manners, that's about ensuring that we're accepted in society, that we belong in society, that we're not rejected by others because we've made some terrible faux pas about um, putting our elbows on the table, for example. Um, The second one, so things like putting the loose seat down, um, that that can also be about uh, a kind of kindness in society. Or if it's putting the lid down, then it could be about you know, making sure that that we keep healthy. Another great one would be like washing our hands after having a wee, you know. We're taught these things by our caregivers to keep us well, to keep us healthy, to keep us safe. And then that third one, the one about, you know, not trusting strangers, that's obviously we understand where that comes from and it's really at the source of it is about making sure that we practice the art of discernment about who we pay attention to, and um, who we spend time with. But each of these things can obviously go a bit too far. You know, we can become obsessed with, um, you know, making sure that our table manners are right. And even as I say that, you know, I can I can remember uh, as a child, some parents, you know, friends' houses that I went to where, you know, if you um, got something wrong at the table, like, um, oh, I don't know, you didn't eat your food in the way that um, the parents thought you should. You used to get, you know, into trouble. And and really that's just taking things a bit too far. Um, or, or learning this message of not trusting strangers can also obviously tip so far that that we become mistrustful of everybody. So... So it's really helpful to kind of notice these stories um, that we hold. And it is such a lovely practice to simply ask ourselves, to whom does this belong? Does it belong to me? Um, And, you know, as ever, when I'm doing the podcast, it's like I can feel like stories other things going through my head that immediately make me think oh god I wonder where that comes from um and 
And then we have that choice of, well, what do I want to do with it? Do I want to keep it? Is it something that I'm really happy that I've adopted? Or is it something that doesn't really serve me that well? And I can just hand it back to whoever I picked it up from along the way. And I'd love to hear from you if there are any things that this is sparking uh, for you. Um, one, one that's just popped into my head is um, the thing about getting busy um, as a distraction. That's definitely something that I um, picked up from from my mum, I think. And, and even, and I know, like, it's something that I've been really working on, but even just sharing this has made me reconsider, well, where does that, um, what's, what really sort of triggers that behavior for me? And um, what do I want to do with it in order to... Um, not be driven by it, um, but so that I'm not unconsciously getting busy when I'm a bit anxious, but I'm more aware of the anxiety and more aware of what's causing that so I can turn toward that rather than distract myself with busyness. Hopefully that bit makes sense. Um, So, like I say, there's this lovely practice and actually it could be a really gorgeous journaling prompt just to write down, you know, does this belong to me? Um, whatever this might be for you. And actually there is a My Darling Girl in the new volume that touches on this idea. And if you'd like to hear it, then please do keep listening. I'm going to read it in a moment. And um, just a reminder as well, I I will be sending out more information about this, but we are getting close toward publishing My Darling Girl Volume 2. So it is now starting to be time to get your orders in, which is very exciting. Um, And I can't wait to get the book into my hands. And... I will share a link in the show notes so that you can order it. And um, and also something very exciting just for you guys to know, um, first of all, is um, I have the absolute privilege of um, a friend of mine, Emma, creating the cover uh, for the book completely out of the blue she did a painting for one of the poems in the book and she when she sent me the picture for that poem so each poem has got uh, an illustration a piece of artwork that goes with it uh, when she sent it to me I fell in love with it to such a degree that I asked her if I could make it the cover of the book And I'm so delighted that she said yes. So um, I haven't yet updated all of the imagery (laughs) that's out there of the new cover, Um, but I will do. And um, and hopefully you'll love it as much as I do. It's I think it's very very beautiful. So that's my um, that's my bit of news that I'm very excited about. Um, And 
I wish you a hug and a wave. And if you'd like to continue listening, here is that poem that I mentioned from My Darling Girl, Volume 2. My Darling Girl, ask, does this belong to me? Have I stolen someone else's grief or pain? Have I stepped into the well of another's loss? Have I taken the anger and the shame that sits sadly in another's heart? Am I a thief in the night of another's plight? Ask, to whom does this belong? And when you examine the label tucked inside the handle of all you hold and see it reveals it is not yours, then, then, my love, then, okay, you can carry it, helping the owner with the weight of what they bear without believing it belongs to you. And if you see that, indeed, all of the everything you are holding onto truly is yours by right, then, then, my love, ask for the help you need to carry what you find hard to bear and see what it truly means to care.